I, uh, I really enjoyed the uh, first message. Uh, that's a part of scripture that I, I like a lot. You might think, wow, that's the you know, kind of the dry and dusty part. But I enjoy that stuff quite a bit and uh, appreciate anyone who's willing to go into it and take a look at it. I think that a misunderstanding of God's law is uh, something you see a lot of in this world and um, people take it to mean things that it doesn't mean and uh, cast disrepute upon God, unfortunately, which is uh, not a good thing, obviously. <laughs> it's something that as a, as a church we want to uh, try and set the record straight. I'll actually do a little bit of that today because we are going to look at another aspect of God's law and we'll be looking at something again that goes back to the as uh, Mr. Coach said the dry and dusty books <laughs> uh, honoring your mother and father honor your mother and father uh, you might not necessarily think of this as you know big time legal penal code type stuff but I think you uh, might change your mind as we go through it God our father has placed the principle of honor towards parents honor towards mother and father within his Ten Commandments. And it's one of those Ten Commandments, it's one of those commandments that I think people, and me included, sort of gloss over. You know, we're more interested in uh, you know, theft and adultery and all those salacious things. But honor towards the mother and father is very important to your father God. It's found in Exodus 20, verse 12. It's also uh, found in Deuteronomy 5, Verse 16. Let's look at the Deuteronomy one. Uh, they say essentially the same thing rather than read both. Let's just look at the Deuteronomy one. And I think the Deuteronomy one is good because it adds an additional clause, which is very meaningful. In verse 16 of Deuteronomy 5, the commandment simply says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's the commandment. So we know it's highly important to God. It's right up there. It's at the top of the mountain, if you will. The pyramid. Top of the pyramid. Yet, it is sometimes hard to be exactly certain of what is expected in fulfilling God's fifth commandment. And I'll, I'll say it's also sometimes hard to be certain of what's not expected. And we'll take a look at, hopefully, both those angles. We're going to take a look at what is expected under ideal circumstances, in the very best of circumstances, how it might play out, and why. Also, we'll look at what might be expected of you or me or him or her under less than ideal circumstances, even rotten circumstances. And why? Okay, good circumstances. Let's start with the good stuff. <laughs> the easy stuff. If one's parents are among those who live according to godly principles, uh, and they live godly lives, and we get along with them, and we have this great relationship with them, then the idea of showing honor and respect toward mother and father is pretty straightforward. When you or I or we are young, we should obey our parents and pay attention to their instruction and discipline. Later, when we're older, we leave and we set up our own household. And you can read Genesis 3 on that. You know, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. He, you leave, you set up your own household. And uh, we then make our own choices and are responsible personally for those choices. When we marry and when we have children, we then assume the role of parent. But that, that transition in our lives, does not mean that we have no further responsibilities towards our parents. So we'll keep on with that. 
If our parents become incapable of taking care of themselves through sickness or disability of some sort or just the natural decline of old age, we should help and assist them. Whether we are young or old, we should never strike our parents in anger or frustration. By extension, we should not speak harshly to them. And we should not speak to other people about them in a manner that is hateful, dismissive, demeaning, and so forth. An affectionate and harmonious relationship with our parents certainly makes that a lot easier to do. It makes it a lot easier for us to see, yeah, I can see how, yeah, following God's command to honor mom and dad, it just seems real natural and good. And it is. However, even these ideal circumstances, even under the best of circumstances, it still requires self-control and sacrifice. Even when you both share the same faith towards God. And I say that because it's true and you know it. <laughs> you can have the greatest parents in the world and still struggle to live up to God's expectations for honoring and respecting mom and dad. Now, let's take a look at some related scriptures. I just sort of laid it out there. And now I'm going to go back and we're going to go through those points using some scriptures to back them up. So I've got four. Obey, submit to discipline, provide for, and don't ever strike your parents. First, do obey them. So there's three do's and one don't. Do obey them. Let's take a look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3. And clearly this is in the context of someone who is under the household of their mom and dad. Colossians 3 verse 20. Short and sweet. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So this is pleasing to God. As much as you read scripture, you know that God wants us to seek the things that are pleasing to him. Um, Ephesians, which in so many ways parallels Colossians. Ephesians 6, verses 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's a good phrase that's added there. In the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So do obey. Number two, do submit to their discipline. Hebrews 12, verse 9. Hebrews 12, verse 9. However, we have all had human fathers, and I would add mothers to this as well, who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? And that's a concept of parallelism I'm going to bring up a little later. But first, let's turn to Proverbs 13, verse 1. Proverbs 13, verse 1 there are lots of Proverbs that I could turn to. I tried to pick one that was kind of focused here. Proverbs 13, verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction. And that word could also be translated discipline. Because instruction is a form of discipline. Discipline is a form of instruction. So do submit to their teaching and discipline. Number three. Do provide for them. 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, verse 4. Hmm. 
The scripture actually is dealing with a more complicated circumstance, but the principle comes out. It says, but if a widow, so this is an older woman, who has children or grandchildren, there sh these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and their grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Context there being, you know, rather than this older woman having to come to the church and look to the church for income and support and so forth because she's elderly, the, ch the children are responsible or should be taking care of their elderly mother in this case and father would also be part of it. Let's take a look at Matthew 15 for another. Matthew 15. And again, this is part of a more complex issue that's being discussed, but the principle once again comes out that it's an expectation. Matthew 15, verses 3 through 7. This is uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and he gets on their case about they've made up traditions and rules that allow people to kind of do an end run around taking care of and fulfilling that responsibility towards their parents, elderly parents who need help. Matthew 15, verses 3 through 7. Then Jesus replied, okay, speaking to the Pharisees, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your own tradition? This Corbin tradition, which he mentions. Be their own tradition, not scripture. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. So it's serious. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, which was their own tradition, they are not to honor their father or mother in this. So in this you nullify the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. I've covered this before. I'll just go over it briefly. The Corban tradition, they would say, oh no, my money has been dedicated to God. So I'm taking my entire estate and it's going to go to the temple. But the law of Corban, which was their own, also said that you had free use of all that cash while you were alive. So you could use this as a way to get around taking care of your mother and father, saying, I can't spend that money on mom and dad. It's devoted to the temple but you can use it for yourself. And in this way, their own tradition allowed them to do an end run around their obligation to take care of mother and father. So like I said, it's a more complex thing that's being discussed, but the principle of taking care of mother and father is there from the words of Jesus himself. So number four, do not strike or verbally abuse them. Now we just read that where Jesus said, but anyone who curses, and we'll read the scripture that goes with that, anyone who strikes, their father or mother is to be put to death. Turn to Exodus 21. Exodus 21. <laughs> Verse 15. Short and sweet, anyone who attacks, you know, hits, strikes, and I would add verbal abuse and things like that, their father or mother is to be put to death. Verse 17, anyone who curses their father or mother, and this definitely gets into harsh words, is to be put to death. So those are the four obligations and responsibilities that we have for honoring and respecting Mother and father, do obey, do submit to their teaching and discipline, do provide for them, and don't be harsh, physically or verbally abusive to your parents. In reading this last section of scripture in Exodus, and also what Jesus himself said in Matthew 15, we come up upon what I'm going to call a sticky issue. Because people, those mysterious people, whoever they may be, there are those out there who point to this as an example of the obvious impracticality and harshness of the scriptures. 
Um, you know, are you saying that any time, you know, little Billy says, no, I don't want to, that he should be punished by death? And that's an example of people taking God's law to say and mean something that it does not. And I'll explain that. The logic being, of course, that if we were to try and follow that line of reasoning, we'd all be dead. <laughs> Every single one. I mean, oh, I would. I'd be gone. Right? And if you were honest with yourself, you probably have violated some of these rules at some point. Okay. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 21. So I'm going to take a bit of a sidebar here, and I'm going to talk about this sticky issue. And it's a sticky issue that I think people use as a way of saying, well, this is all just total bunk, so we don't need to do any of this stuff anyways, because it's just ridiculous, the idea that you'd, you'd put little Billy to death for saying he won't eat his peas. That's just dumb. Well, yeah, it is dumb. That would be dumb if that's what the law were really saying. So Deuteronomy 21. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at verses 18 through 21, if you would. And I'm not going to do this justice. I won't have time to go through the whole thing in, in like the kind of detail that it warrants. Um, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother should take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. And they should say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. So he obviously has some other issues going on. Okay? Uh, the meaning of the word glutton and drunkard would be worthy of uh, word study on your own. I think it opens up a can of worms. That There's some serious problems with this, this person, this son. Verse 21, Then all the men of the town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. So it's meant to be a cautionary tale. It's meant to set an example. This is not permissible behavior. Okay? A few things that you should draw from what we just read from this scripture. This is not a punishment for a single infraction. So if your son has forgotten to take out the garbage, he is... <laughs> That does not mean that the death penalty is upon him, okay? That's not what we're talking about. I suppose technically it could be true, all right? But we'll take a look at why that wouldn't really pan out the way you might think. Because I think sometimes people read this section of scriptures and they think, oh, me as a good father who's obedient to God, anytime, um, you know, little Billy is... is uh, Disobedient, well, and, and I, I'm duty bound to take him and, and execute him, which is just ridiculous. Anyway, so it's not a punishment for a single infraction, rather for one who is habitually disobedient. And not just disobedient, but someone who is, uh, what does it say, stubborn. So they're just, they're set in this. They're rebellious. If we put it together with the other scriptures that we read, uh, there's cursing of mother and father. There's you know, physical violence going on. This person is a menace. Okay. Glutton, drunkard, substance abuse perhaps. It's, it's a bad situation. Right? It has the potential to be a menace to greater society as well as the parents. And God does not want this in Israel. Another thing you should draw from the scriptures we read is that the parents do not take the action into their own hands. What do they do? They take the child. It's probably not a little, little one. It's probably more like teenager, I would guess. Uh, the son. They take them to the elders. Right? They submit their charge to the legal authorities of the community. Right? So they don't just do this in their backyard. And then, you know, bury little Billy under the patio. That's not the way it works here. They take the child to the legal authorities of the community, the elders. And in that way, this act could not be one that's based on emotion and passion of the moment. I mean, there are times when, you know, as a parent, you think, I can kill that kid. But that's not how it works. If the parent feels the need that this is so extreme that it needs to escalate, it goes to the authorities. Okay. 
So that's another thing you should draw from this. Is it's a deliberate decision, something that needs to be thought through. Because if you're going to bring your child to the authorities, think about it, people. The shame is on you. You're going to be just feeling like the lowest of the low. Anyway, another thing you should draw from this, the parents in this situation fulfill the role of two witnesses, okay? They have to witness against this child. They have to bring evidence forward, okay? And I'm using other laws about witness, which we're not going to go through, but we have in the past to bear on this. Uh, by law, a person who was ever found to be a false witness, what happens to them? Do you remember? Well, they bring the penalty that they, the, the person who's being accused would fall under upon themselves. So if I brought little Billy and I wanted to bring him to the authorities and I was cooking up you know, some wacky stuff and they found out that I was exaggerating, blowing it out of proportions, I would run the risk of being the one who ends up having to pay with his life. So this was serious business, okay? That's the way God's law works. If you're a false witness, whatever that person was going to suffer comes upon you. So both the parents would have to agree that this was the only way to handle the situation. By law, by the laws of witness, elsewhere in scripture, a court case, Parents who were ever found to be lying would be the ones put to death instead of the child. And let's see. Another thing. Um, as the accusing witnesses, the parents would have to be the ones to cast the first stone. So they would not be in the position where they could just sort of hand him off to the authorities and let them deal with him. They would have the emotional impact of being the ones who have to put their hand on the stone and cast the first stone. So the accuser is in a situation where there's a lot on them. If anything goes awry in a court case like that, you, your life is in your hands. You have to be the one that pulls the trigger. Okay, so it could happen, all right? It could happen. And the law does say that. It would be a very difficult thing to make pass, to happen. Think about it, people. If, if I had to give you my own opinion, which I'm going to do anyway... I would expect that this is one of those laws that almost never got done. Because think about it as a parent. That is not the way you want to deal with your kids. Think about God's interaction with Israel. He made this law. This is the way he sees things. The nation, he considered them his children. He cut them a lot of slack before he lowered the boom on them. A lot of slack. They, were, they had to prove themselves to be really, really disobedient. They had hundreds of years before God lowered the boom on them. So we would consider that as well. You have to look at God's law and then consider who God is and how he operates. So with that, I don't know that that answers all the what-ifs that are out there about this you know, section that you read in Scripture. And if someone wants to use it and pluck it out and say, well, this is just ridiculous... I hope that you'll think of it in the light that I've, I've mentioned it. But I want to, I want to move on because I don't want to get bogged down in, in all the technicalities. Um, so it's important because God views habitual disobedience, cursing, violence, a determination to do wrong and do this thing to be a form of cultural rot. That must be cut out of the community like a tumor. Okay? Turn to Romans 1, verse 29. Romans 1, verse 29. It's listed among the things that God sees when society starts going off the rails. Romans 1, verse 29 and 30. Talking about how people just ended up in the sorry state that we find ourselves in. Uh, let's see. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Speaking of you know, humanity that's separated itself from God. Where am I? 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Imagine that. God puts this in this list of all these horrible things that people do. And they disobey their parents. It's a sign of cultural rot that needs to be dealt with. And this is God's opinion on the affair. Turn to 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. Here's a scripture that looks at this same cultural rot at the end time. Romans 1 is kind of like the old times, the beginning. At the end, when things really start to get out of control, end time. Part of end time prophecy is disobedience towards parents. But mark this. I'm starting in verse 1 here. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. So disobedience to the parents is part of the list of all the terrible things that people will do as society breaks apart in the end times. It's a big deal. Cultural rot. Clearly, honoring your mother and father is a big deal to God. It's a big deal. The instructions and consequences that we've just gone through, uh, which were do obey, do submit to their discipline, do take care of them, do not strike, curse, abuse, and so forth. This is big deal stuff to God. Now, we've looked at a scenario involving parents who are themselves leading godly lives. Although, you know, the stuff about, uh, you know, dealing with the disobedient children is kind of like if things go really wrong. But this is an idealized scenario that we've looked at where all these things seem natural and comfortable. And of course, you know, of course I feel that way about my mom and dad. What about parents who make bad choices? And this comes up a lot, too. And this is another way that the law and the concept is undermined. What about parents who make bad choices? Well, I'd respect them if they were respectable. Right? Have you heard that? Yeah, I'd respect them. They have to show themselves respectable first. That is not how God thinks. There are lots of parents out there who do not lead godly lives. Even parents who try to live according to God's way can make terrible mistakes. I stand as proof. <laughs> uh, some people's parents are abusive. Uh, some are neglectful. Some are addicts. Selfish. Foolish. Lazy. Unfair. Under such circumstances, following God's command to honor parents can seem strange, unnatural. And do I really need to do that? And if so, why? God wants us to respect his authority. Now you might think, oh, well, that's different. God's respectable. God wants us to learn to respect his authority. It's not a slam dunk like you might think. Let's start in Malachi 1 verse 6, okay? Malachi 1 verse 6. This is God speaking through Malachi. In verse 6 he says, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. Honoring mother and father is analogous to honoring God. 
There are other scriptures I could cite. Uh, I think Hebrews chapter 12 is a good place. I'm going to let you read that on your own. Where you see this analogy between mother and father, mostly talking about father there, and your relationship with God. God's command to honor our parents establishes what I'd like to call a root concept. Uh, I think all the commandments do this. Uh, the sermonette on uh, stealing and robbery is like a build out from the root concept, thou shalt not steal. God's command to honor our parents establishes a root concept of respect for and honor towards authority in what we say and do. All authority, whether it's in heaven, God, Jesus Christ, or on earth, begins and ends with God. Okay? All authority begins and ends with God. That's, you could spend a whole day thinking about what that means. For now, we experience this authority as it has been delegated to others, both spiritual, angelic forces, and human. You know? The command to honor parents is given uh, so that we might begin learning, and it, you know, we are taught this attitude from our earliest formative years. God wants this baked into the cake from the very beginning. It's built around the most fundamental and universal of all human relationships, parent and child. There's nobody in this room who can come up to me and say, I don't have a parent, so this doesn't apply to me. It's universal. Now, in other areas of scripture, God expands his expectations regarding our approach to um, authority such that we also are required to have respect for and show honor to human government, officials, kings, rulers, And this is where it really gets hard. God ex requires us to show respect for authority, whether the person wielding it is righteous or not. And that's tough. That's hard. Turn to 1 Peter 2, if you would. 1 Peter 2, verse 13 through 18. There we go. 1 Peter 2, verse 13 through 18. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, you know, because God is telling you to do this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong or to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I want to read the verse that comes next as well. Slaves. And here's where the concept really comes out. You know, So you've got your emperor who's way out there but you might have a boss you might have a master who's very close by cheek and jowl living slaves in reverent fear of god submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate but also to those who are harsh so respect for authority is god's requirement whether the person wielding it deserves it or not and that's tough now, God's program, why would God do this? Why would he set things up this way? Because in some of these circumstances, you know, we live in a free society. Most people have not. They didn't really have a choice. You want to show disrespect for authority, you're going to pay for it. It's going to be harsh. So we have a kind of a different attitude towards all this. And um, 
Good for us. I'm glad we do. But let's not use that freedom in the same way that we just read in the scriptures to violate the concept that God has laid out before us. Right? God's program. What's God trying to do? He's trying to prepare you for the kingdom, right? God's program is that we learn to show honor towards fallible and flawed humanity. Fallible and flawed human authority. Now these situations can be difficult and trying. They can be a test, a test of faith. However, our efforts will show and do show God himself that we can be trusted to respect God's own authority if and when we are granted eternal life and a place within God's own family. Challenging and questioning God's authority disrupts peace and harmony and has no lasting place in eternity in the kingdom of God or the family of God. Let's take a look at showing honor in honor and respect in difficult situations. Okay? A favorite example, I don't think we've gone over this in Raleigh uh, for a long time, but I bet you've heard it before. A favorite example of showing honor for human authority is King David and Saul. All right? Honor for human authority that is not acting in an honorable manner. David's dealings with Saul. Now, there's a lot there. I'm not going to go through all these scriptures. I'm going to boil it down. Saul was the king of Israel. Right? For no good reason, Saul declared David to be his enemy. He called David an enemy of the state. And he tried repeatedly to kill David. Yet, David continued to speak and act with honor and respect towards Saul because of Saul's position as the king of Israel, God's own anointed. That was a tough situation. Now, this is a very important point. I'm going to flesh out a little bit. While he showed respect and honor towards Saul, David wisely kept away from him, put a lot of distance between himself and Saul, and kept himself out of harm and danger. One scripture, um, 1 Samuel 24 is a, is a section you could read to see what I'm talking about if you've not done so before. But in 1 Samuel 24, uh, let's see, I think I can find the scripture. Um, read the whole chapter. It's good. This is the sequence where Saul... He's basically, uh, David's hiding out in the cave. Saul comes in because he, he wants to believe himself. You know, they, the Bible has this funny phrase called, he's going to cover his feet, which means he's going to drop his pants and he's going to sit down and he's going to do his business. And David's behind him and his buddies say, David, that's Saul. Go get him. You know, kid, he's, God, clearly God has delivered him into your hands. This is your big time shot. Go for it, dude. And what does David say? Um... Let's see. Okay, verse 4, chapter 24. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke to him about to you when he said, I have given your enemy into your hands. And, uh, oh, that's not the scripture I want. Um, okay, verse 6. And David, you know, he, he basically does something. He cuts off a little piece, a little tassel from Saul's robe just to kind of prove a point. And then afterwards, he's conscience-stricken for having cut the corner off his robe. And he says to his man, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand upon him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And David sharply rebuked the man. You go through the whole history of David, and you'll see that this is not just a one-time thing. Saul was they had a really bad relationship. But through it all, David, you know, acted with honor and respect towards Saul because he was the king of Israel. But note that he, did, he, stayed, he stayed out of Saul's way. He stayed out of his way. So, what about honoring parents in difficult situations? I think we can take that same principle and we can see how it might be applied. All right? Showing 
honor and respect does not demand that we subject ourselves to abuse. Okay? Or violence. Or harm. Or exploitation. So like the practical example of David that we just went took a brief look at, you may find that for various reasons, you need to practice respect and honor towards your parents from a distance. Okay? Because, look, some people are just, they're bad news. And you might need to do this from a distance in order to protect yourselves emotionally or physically. As a young person who finds themselves still under the control of their parents, your responsibility to obey your parents does not require you to do anything that is contrary to the express will of God. I'm not going to go through all kinds of scriptures to prove this point. I can, but I'm not going to because we don't have time. If you are ever compelled to do anything that is disobedient toward God, because when you're little, you don't have the strength to resist physically, obviously. Or other circumstances, sometimes you're just, you know, <laughs> trapped. If you are compelled to do anything disobedient to God, the responsibility for such actions is upon your parents, not you. They're the ones who are going to take the heat for that. Neither should you feel compelled to obey parental instructions that put you in danger or are exploitive or abusive. And you can, you know, that <laughs> there's a lot of bad situations out there. You are not required by God to submit yourself to those things, okay? If you can find a way of escape, you should take it. Uh, the scripture that comes to mind is when Paul was talking to people who were in a slave condition in, I think it was Corinth, but it was one of the cities in Greece, and he told them, look, don't focus your entire life on escaping your slavery, but if you can, go for it. That's what he told them. I say the same thing in principle. If you can find a way to escape a situation like that, do it. Just be careful. Always be careful. Be careful that you don't use this kind of reasoning as a clever argument to avoid legitimate requests made by parents. And I think you could see how it would be very easy for someone to say, well, they're being abusive. I feel abused. Therefore, I don't need to do what they say. Right? Isn't that the way people think? That's the way people think. Be careful that you don't use what I've just said as a clever way to avoid legitimate requests and needs of your parents. Think of the example or think of what uh, we read Jesus saying in Matthew 15 about the Corbin thing. You guys are using this kookamonga law that you dreamed up about devoting all your money to the temple and then you use it as a way to, to sidestep your obvious obligations to your mother and father to honor and respect them. Don't use clever arguments to get out of things you know you should be doing. Okay. That said, you're on your own recognizance. All right? Uh, let's take a look at Ezekiel 20. Do I have... I mean, there's plenty of things I just said that I... you know. Oh, what's the scripture for that? Well, they're, they're out there. I, I could spend hours and hours going through them all, and I don't want to. But let's take a look at Ezekiel 20, verses 18 and 19. Okay, where am I? I said to their children, speaking of rebellious Israel, I said to their children in the wilderness, do not follow the statutes of your parents or keep their laws or defile yourself with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So I put that out there as an example of where God says, okay, look, you know, your parents, you owe them obedience and so forth. But here's an example don't you don't have to do what they do when they're violating my commands and take that principle use it wisely so you do not have to follow your parents in their disobedience toward god 
So this is something that probably more focuses on younger, uh, younger people who are sort of under their parents' authority, living in their household, maybe financially beholden to them and, and so forth. What about when you get older? You're on your own. And I think that applies to most of us here. How do you deal with bad situations? Well, I'm going to call this next section Healing the Breach. Healing the Breach. How do you heal a breach? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. When you reach the point of adulthood and you've established your own household, and you may still find yourself struggling with how to show respect and honor toward your parents. Emotional scars may run deep. Bad parenting might have left you bitter. Or deep divides in your respective lifestyles might divide you. The only effective solution to any of this is forgiveness. Forgive your parents for whatever mistakes they have made. And let go of the condemnation that you feel in your heart. And leave it with God. It's your only way out. There is no other way. It's a big idea. Wrap your mind around that for a while. Maybe this afternoon. But forgiveness does not mean that you must agree that you must agree with or approve of whatever your parents have done or are doing. Forgiveness means you're willing to put the past behind you and move on to a better future. One last thought on forgiveness. Forgiveness is not for them. Forgiveness in a circumstance like this is for you. So you can move on. Now, you might be able to repair a very damaged relationship with your parents through godly uh, ways, the fruits of the Spirit, gestures of kindness, uh, gentle humility. That's how you're going to win battles. But you might find that doesn't work out so well and you still kind of need to keep some distance between you and your parents. Restoring an affectionate relationship with parents is a desirable goal, right? But it is not the same thing as honoring and respecting your parents. And this is something that I think causes confusion among people. Having a warm, loving relationship with, with your parents, everybody wants that. But it's not the same thing as showing honor and respect toward them. You might never get there. But you can show honor to your parents. Remember the four things that we talked about. You can show honor, your, you can show honor towards your parents as an adult with your own household by taking care of your parents. Their needs, um, probably mostly physical, maybe a little bit of financial Maybe even emotional if they become lonely or distressed. Um, if they become incapable of taking care of themselves through sickness, injury, old age. And like the points we mentioned earlier, you also show respect and honor towards your parents by what you do not do. This is a big one. Uh, you can thank my wife for this one. We were talking about it and she came up with this and I said, that's good. How do you show respect? Sometimes it's by what you don't do. It's funny because, well, you show respect by not being disrespectful. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it does. You show respect by what you do not do. And that's what we talked about when we were looking at do not treat your parents harshly. Do not speak of your parents or speak to your parents in a manner that is insulting, demeaning, dismissive, impolite. And in this way, you will avoid showing contempt for the authority that God has delegated to parents. Okay? 
Turn to a, back to Ephesians 6, verse 2. Ephesians 6, verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Work to overcome the negative elements of your relationship with your parents and follow God's command to honor mom and dad you will be rewarded for it. I don't have uh, you know, a laundry list of all the ways that you'll be rewarded. I think a lot of times our rewards are the peace of mind. Like You're going to get a lot of peace of mind through this whole forgiveness thing. Uh, there's really no other way. Might be spiritual blessings. Might be physical blessings. I really don't know. But you will be rewarded by God, your true Father and Creator. As the scriptures mentioned, this is the commandment with a promise of reward. Other commandments don't have that. This one's kind of special in that way. Things are going to go well for you if you do this stuff I'm telling you to do. That's what God says. So with this promise of reward, the fifth commandment is unique among the ten commandments God has given us to live by. Honor towards parents is a fundamental principle of God's way of thinking. Honor towards authority is learned through honor towards parents, which is also a fundamental way of God's thinking. And he's putting us through a somewhat rigorous obstacle course, <laughs> if you think about it, so that we might learn sometimes difficult situations. But think of it in relationship to the kingdom of God, which we've been talking about in, in past weeks, right? Respect towards parents leads to a more harmonious relationship within human families. But most important, most important, it is a way of thinking that will lead to harmony within the eternal family of God and the kingdom of God.